We are in the book of Matthew, chapter 11. Last week, Jesus got after the crowds. If you remember chapter 10, he was, well, I always get the signal. You're wearing the earbuds still. Last week, or not last week, chapter 10, quite a few weeks ago, Jesus' discourse specifically to his disciples, you kind of notice differences in who he's talking to, how straightforward he was. With his disciples, boy, he was very straightforward. This is what you're going to expect, suffering, uh, growing, escalating suffering when you follow me. This is what it's going to cost to follow me. Um, then we had uh, him send out his disciples and John the Baptist's disciples and approached him as he's going throughout the cities. Um, you know, with a message from John the Baptist, this doesn't make sense. I was expecting the king coming in, conquering, right? The kingdom of heaven, overtaking the Romans and everything else. And, and, and are you really the one or should we be looking for someone else? And Jesus directs their attention to what is happening. What is really the kingdom triumphantly entering into darkness, but spiritually, not physically, um, he says, here's the evidence. The blind are receiving the sight, the death here. The dead are raised. Look at what's happening. Demons being cast out. And then they go back to John and he addresses the crowds and says, that John that you're probably murmuring right now, oh, John doesn't even believe it's Jesus anymore. And you know, that John that you think was just a crazy guy that had a demon, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you what you've been missing. And he gets after him. You, you haven't seen what's right in front of you. John the Baptist, the one prophesied about. And after him, the Son of God that has come and is proceeding in power. You're missing it. It's right in front of you. And so we get into chapter 11, verse 20. Jesus, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. That beeping back there, folks, I think is, might be the battery supply to our whole feed. So... And make sure that there's power to the battery in the back corner. Or is that last? Okay, never mind. <laughs> Different beeping. I don't want to lose all the folks online. Yes, we want to keep you. All right, sorry. That's, that's something else. All right. It'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for Capernaum. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God, open your word to us this morning and help us to learn from it. In Jesus' name, amen. So he's continuing. He just got after the crowds. You're missing what's right in front of you. And now he's condemning these cities where most of his mighty works had been done. We see three cities here. Um, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Those were there near the, the north shore of Galilee, not far from Capernaum. It's the third. Capernaum, if you remember, that's where Jesus moved. That was his headquarter city. He was doing all his ministry out of there. And so that city and two neighboring cities, he's saying most of his works had been done in those cities and now he's reprimanding them. Why? Because they didn't repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, what are those places? Those are places they would have known about. The Old Testament talks about those. Those are prophesied against, known as places of godlessness, of, uh, of places that deserved judgment, and then they found judgment. Tyre was, was actually, it, it's incredible that people that don't believe the Bible is, is the Word of God struggle with passages like in Ezekiel where it's being very specific on how Tyre is going to be destroyed, cast into the ocean, every rock moved. And, and then later on, you see Alexander the Great come through, and exactly as God prophesied, it was destroyed. They knew Tyre and Sidon as these places that deserved the judgment of God. And what does Jesus say? If the mighty works that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, headquarter city, will you be exalted to heaven? Possibly they saw themselves as the greatest city, as a holy city, Boy, I, I look at these and I wonder, how do we see ourselves as a country, as a city, as a state? I, there's a lot of great things I love about a country. I love things about Texas. I grew up in California. I appreciate Texas. I love California too. I really appreciate Texas. There's things I love, but, but, but am I exalting? It's like, oh, this is the greatest ever. Am I going to exalt that to heaven? Is that my mindset? Is that my heart? I got I to... Gotta, 
check myself on these things. That was the kind of place that Jesus was headquartered in. This is such a great place. This is a holy place. This is a place that God is going to bless. And, is in, and he says, <laughs> you had so many mighty works done within you. The testimony of Christ. What is he talking about, mighty works? It's everything that Christ had done, everything he told John the Baptist's disciples. Look what's right in front of you. The deaf receive their hearing, the blind their sight. The dead are raised up, demons cast out. Those unclean are made clean, their sins forgiven. All of that happening right there in your city. Yet Jesus says, you have not repented. And then he compares them to Sodom. You got to know that one, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. Just a little bit of the description of what's in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's, that's become kind of the icon within the Bible of here's depravity. Here's being totally given over to the flesh. And every time we see something new pop up within our own society, our own community that matches something with that, it should alarm us. No, that looks like Sodom, right? And so he's comparing them to Sodom. He's saying, if those mighty works done within you, Capernaum, had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would remain till today. They'd still be around. They would have turned. And, and, and I believe that Jesus knows what he's talking about. The what ifs, when God says what if, it's a true what if. Had these things been done within them, they would have turned and repented. And yet you did not repent. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable. tolerable. Verse 24, on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. It appears the greater the revelation, the greater the information, the greater the judgment for rejecting Christ. I was reading one commentator, I think it was D.A. Carson. He looked at this and he said, boy, that's alarming when I consider the United States. We've had great amount of information. I, how many Bibles can we count at the Bible bookstore? There different versions. How many different ways has Christ been taught? And, and, and this has become, I, I love how God has used this country as, as a place where global missions has gone forth. The history of this country is, you see God's purpose in it. The world has been reached with the gospel, is continuing to be reached. The edges of, the, of the, that where it hasn't been reached yet, the United States is a major player. People, the church here is a major player in that. But as a country, we need to repent our heart. That word, repent, that was the message that John the Baptist brought. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus took up the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. There's our first point this morning. One word, repent. 
What is it to repent? It's what they weren't doing. It's a, it's a change in direction. Change in direction in, in mindset, of heart, uh, of actual direction in my life, where I'm headed. It, it's what I want, where I'm headed, what I think. Everything is headed in one way. To repent from that is to stop and turn. Don't go that way anymore. They had everything. They had the scriptures. They had the glory of God in their hands, and yet their hearts were headed in the wrong direction. They did and said all of the right things, it seemed, but their hearts needed to repent, needed to turn. If you were to go down to San Antonio to 10, head west, go a long ways, west and west and west, finally get to El Paso, and then keep going, New Mexico, Arizona, right? And then you cross the border and they start calling it the 10, California. And you go through the desert in California. And eventually 10 will come to this, the 10 at that point, will come to a place where there's, there's mountain ranges on either side. You've just gone past Palm Springs and, and there's these peaks. The left is, what is that? San, uh, San, uh, I forget on the left. Idlewild is on the left. To the right is San Gregorio Peak, the highest peak in Southern California. 11,500 some feet tall, right? During the winter, probably right now, they probably got snow on those peaks. Our California folks will be able to tell. No, you're not California. They moved out of California. Well, one day, me and a couple of others decided we wanted to go to the top of San Gregorio Peak in the snow. And we got all of our gear on, we headed out, and, and we didn't get to the parking lot, the trailhead parking lot, until late afternoon. And it was the middle of a snowstorm. We can barely see. We couldn't, couldn't see the mountain. Couldn't see the edge of the mountain. Um, we had a map. And we knew there's this initial ridge, this initial climb you had to get up. Once you got to the top of that, there was a flat area. We could set up camp there. And then we'd be good. We just needed to get that far. And we could not find the trailhead. Uh, it, we went up and down. It was, just, it was snow. It was, and so we thought, well, we've got a map. We've got a topo map. We'll just go up, right? We're, we're just going to find our own way up the side of this mountain up to the top where we can camp. And so we headed into the woods, heading up. And the longer we went, the steeper it got, the more treacherous it got. We had snowshoes on, and, and the snow was not that nice, hard pack. It, it, was, it was wispy, thick. You know, you step, and you're kind of carefully setting that snowshoe in, hoping it doesn't give way. And, and go down the mountain, right? So you're just slowly making our way up. There, was, there got to be more rocks and more little cliffs that we had to make our way around, and we just kept making our way up. We had a map that told us the truth about where we wanted to go, right? But we were not going on the path, the way. Israel knew they had it right in front of them. Here's where you're supposed to go. 
They worshipped the God Almighty. They were people set apart to Him. And yet they had found their own ways. The law from the very beginning had to do with belief and faith and, and the desires of the heart towards God and their hearts were far from God. The path that they had taken, they would claim as to where the Bible told them to go, where God told them to go, but they were far off the path. And, and what we found, the further we went up, the more difficult it got, the more treacherous it got, and pretty soon it was getting dark and we were way up the side of a mountain and there was no place we would be camping as it got dark. Many times along that path, along our way, we could have repented from our decision, right? To turn. Our mind was set. Here's where we're going. Here's how we're going. This is what we want to do. And we could have turned. That's what repenting would have been. To say, nope, that's not the way to go. What if we had run into people there and said, no, look, that's not where you want to go. This is what you're going to find. It's going to get worse and worse, and you're not going to find the top of this thing. That's kind of what happened here. They have the Son of God. They have, they have John the Baptist and then the Son of God telling them, here is what's ahead of you. Repent, turn around, go back, and they refuse to listen. Look how great we are. Their hearts were far from God. What is it that we need to repent of? That God's calling the world. He was calling them to repent of. Why is it an issue? Because it's a course apart from God. It's a course rooted in sin. Anything where we reject the way that God would have us go in any part of our life. So what's wrong with that? Well, what does God think about it? That's what sin is. Disobedience to God. They were walking with hearts disobedient to God. They had the oracles of God in their hand. They had the glory of God and His destination for them in their hand. They were His chosen people, and yet they chose the way apart from God. It doesn't matter how much you grew up with. doesn't matter what you have. If you choose a path apart from God, that's sin. It's a, it's a place to repent from, to turn from, to go back. Jesus then prays, and it appears that he's just praying right there with the crowds around. There's a moment of Jesus now just calling out to the Father. He says, at that time, verse 25, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Wow. is like a moment where let the clamor of the world stop. Let every ego be halted and paused. The father and son are talking. And Jesus recognizing the sovereign hand of the father in all of this. 
You know, there's so much about God, about us, that we struggle to really understand. We run into these things in Scripture. Sometimes we need to just be quiet and listen what God says. Here, I, the, we, we, especially around salvation, what about the choice of man? It, the choice of man's real. Man chooses to go his own way. He's condemned for it, right? The, the reality of sin in our hearts and the justice of God towards that to condemn us. And, and Jesus here has no problem first talking about these cities and saying how they have chosen to continue against God. They've refused to repent. And now they're responsible for that. And then now he says here, Father, I thank you, I praise you that all these things are happening according to your gracious will. Jesus has no problem saying both those things. To recognize, and not only that, but to thank and praise the Father for all of it. Boy, when I look at the stuff that's going on around me and, 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 and even maybe just look into your own life and the things that, that you've come through and you realize I, I screwed up there and, and then I was, I was the victim of, of someone else screwing up there and, I, I just, and there's pain and there's, there's the results of sin and bad choices. Can I, like Jesus, after recognizing all of that for what it is, then go to the Father and say, I praise you and I thank you, Father, for all of it according to your gracious will. Thankfulness in all things. Praise to God in all things. You know that we find out later there is an incredible purpose of God that it would be by His design that they would fail. You realize this mission's effort by Jesus, by John the Baptist, by His disciples failed? I don't think of it that way. The greatest testimony of Christ that could possibly be given to a community, Christ Himself doing countless miracles. I mean, the fact that these cities are the ones that had the most in them, and then we don't even have record of all that many. I mean, Jesus was doing countless miracles within these cities. That There's not a stronger gospel outreach into the community that you could possibly do. If I could have Jesus come here and do that here in Kyle, I would think that that would be, have an incredible result, right? But they did not turn. And so you have what is really a, a failed outreach in a sense. But no, it's not failed. It's by God's design. And, and we see later what Paul really gets into it. Their failure, their rejection turned into salvation for the Gentiles, for us. But we should thank the Lord for His purpose and His will and all of that. God has a purpose we can't see. We can't know an infinite, almighty God. I love how Paul in Romans 11 just recognizes oh, the depths, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable, or, or another way to say that, how impossible to understand are his ways. Sometimes I just need to be quiet and recognize God for who he is. Here is a moment between the Jesus and the Father, the Son and the Father. And then in verse 27, Jesus says, I don't think he's praying anymore. I think he's directing his attention back to the crowds. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Just stop right there. What an incredible transaction. Here, Jesus has been recognizing the sovereign will of the Father in, in, in how all of this has transpired. And now he's saying, now all things have been handed over to the Son. And then it says, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. There's this exclusive, you all be quiet and sit down. No one knows the, the Father except the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father. And, and, and everything's been given over to the Son. And I, and I have just the, the, this picture of the sovereignty of God, the Almighty God. And this transaction between Father and Son, and then, then the incredible words that come next. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. There now, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Son, I have an opportunity to know God. That's what's been missing. That's why their hearts are so far from God. They don't know God. They know the way. They know of God. They know there are people set apart to God, but they don't know God. They're on the wrong path, doing their own thing, trying to achieve the top by their own means. And now God has provided through His Son, giving all things over to the Son. So now it's, it's the Son who chooses. Those to whom He will reveal the Father who can now know God, who can be included in the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And then comes the greatest invitation. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. San Gregorio is getting dark. We had some decisions to make. Are we going to make it to the top? Put our packs down for a second. Sent one person up to run without pack or anything, scramble up there, came back, no, no top. All right, it's getting dark, what are we gonna do? One person had a headlamp. So that person went first. We traversed across, found a place where we thought it might be safe to go down. Remember, we were passing cliffs and all sorts of things on the way up. 
And as it got dark, we were following in a line, sliding. And we just sat down and started to slide, heading down. I was in the back, two in front of me. The guy in the front had the headlamp. Could barely see. I couldn't see what he could see. I was just following the person in front of me. Went for a ways, and I hear, whoop, and the headlamp was gone. <laughs> and the second person, whoop. You'd think I would have been smart at that point. <laughs> Went a little bit further, and that soft snow turned to ice. And I was taken off quick. But no, I was confident. We had an ice pick in hand, and I had already, we, we'd already gone through this, how to do a self-arrest if you start to slide on ice. And so I flipped over just like we talked about, and I drove that ice pick in, but I had forgotten. I hadn't actually didn't even know. There's an important step to that. One hand goes on top of the ice pick. Now I had two hands here, and whoop, my hands went right off the end of the ice pick, and I just kept right on going. Thank the Lord there was a big soft pile of snow that we ended at and not a drop off a cliff. Who are you following? I was putting my trust in two guys in front of me. And even when things went badly for them, I kept following as if somehow I'd be just fine, right? We do that though, don't we? The course that we're taking in life we're, we pick people, we pick all of these different, I'm going to follow this person. This is the greatest thing. Kids, as you go to college, there's going to be professors that are putting in front of you, here is a way, here is a way of thinking, here is a person to follow, right? And, and, and at a youthful age, God's put it into you to get excited about following something, excited about getting behind a cause, or, and, and, and you're following. But are you following someone in the dark who's just as much in the dark as you are, and they're about to head off the edge of something? Jesus tells everyone, come to me. You know what that invitation is? It's the same one he gave to his disciples. Follow me. Come to me. Here's a second point. Not only is it important to repent, change direction, but don't go change direction and go follow some other thing. Follow Jesus. Come to me. All who are weary. All, well, that's what it says in some versions. That's what I'm used to. Come to me, all who labor. That word can be translated actively like that or just labor, tire, who are tired in labor, who are weary. That's Jesus' invitation. Remember, Jesus is the one to whom all things have been given over. He's the one to choose. Who will know the Father? And now he puts out an invitation to all who labor. A burden. You have to realize that you're in that place. It's kind of like saying, come to me all who are at the end of themselves. I don't have anything left. I'm spent on trying to do this myself. 
And that's who was there among the Jews. There were some. Children. They were called. Who did receive Christ. Who were receptive. Who did repent. But the cities did not. He said, come to me all who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Boy, the significance of that word in the scriptures is incredible. We could spend weeks going through what it is. From the very beginning, God rested. Right? You go through and look, look in the Psalms. Look, look, in, look at, as, as Israel is there entering the promised land or, or looking into the promised land the first time. Described as his rest, and they they didn't what they didn't believe, and so they they failed to enter his rest. And Hebrews picks that up as well, just talking about the rest that we now stand with all the burdens and all the brokenness and all the darkness behind us, weary, realizing we don't have what it takes to get to the top. We'll never make it. The top is not there for us to achieve. And now we stand looking into the rest that is Jesus Christ and His offer to say, come to me. I will give you rest. I will give you what you've been looking for, what you, what you haven't even understood that you were made for. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What does that mean? Yoke. Well, the literal picture is, is of, of what would be placed on an oxen, right? A yoke that, that you'd place on a, a, an oxen that would pull a cart. And, but, but this was actually a figure of speech that, we used, that was used at that time. They wouldn't have been thinking about an oxen. They were thinking of this figure of speech. If there was the yoke of the law, the yoke of the Pharisees, and that was talking about the rules that were placed upon you that you needed to follow. And they saw it as a good thing, the yoke of the law. And, and, and it wasn't just the law, it was all the things that the Pharisees had piled on top of that, the rules that you needed to follow, that became a burden. That's what's pictured here. Those who are weary trying to go their own way, for them, they had the map with the picture of what was at the top. Outside of, of Israel, the rest of the world doesn't even have a map, but they're still pursuing something. They're completely lost. But in all of that, we, we, we like rules, right? We like a religion that has, that has something to do, a, a checklist to go down, a list of laws and rules, and they had it. They had over 300 that they had compiled. You've got to follow these things. You can tell a man-made religion... By its rules. It's how we look at things. And it becomes burdensome. We go under the weight of it. But Jesus says, No, take my yoke, my rules. Put off all of that other. Put on my yoke. My commandments, my rules, and learn from me, 
for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Wow, what a contrast. The Almighty God, the Sovereign God. We went from the will of the Father in all things, sovereignly over all things. Who is to question God? No one. The Almighty, powerful God. Giving all, giving all over to the Son to be the one who will choose. And, and, and then the Son then giving out an offer to all who are weary and laden. And then we have the gentleness of God in Jesus Christ. That's where we meet the Almighty God. It's incredible. Just, just sit and meditate and think on this. I can't get my head around it the more you think about it. How great is His grace. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And we need, not, we need to not miss, it's, it's not just about repenting, turning from a pointless path that ends in eternal death. Repenting from that and, and following Christ. But here, there's something incredible here. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's our last point. Not just follow Jesus, learn from Jesus. You realize what you're entering into is a relationship with Jesus Christ, and Jesus himself is the one to teach you. You are a disciple, not of me or of John or of anybody else. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're his disciple, and he is going to teach you you realize every provision that we have, the Word of God is His Word to teach you by. When you're opening it up, you're looking, and, and you're, you're looking for guidance from the Son of God who is, is alive and working and through His Holy Spirit teaching you. The, the body of Christ, it, every single person has been gifted by the Holy Spirit to benefit the body. When you're being taught and encouraged and built up and strengthened in your faith by the body of Christ, you realize that's Jesus discipling you, Jesus teaching you. You are being taught personally by Jesus through the provision of his body. When, when I get up here and teach, I am not your teacher. I am a tool in the hand of God. Jesus is the one to teach. If I open his word and his word has a chance to speak, it's not by my cleverness or my story of Gagornio, any of that that's going to that's gonna truly teach. It's Jesus who is the teacher. What a wonderful thing we have, a personal relationship with Jesus and to know that I am going to grow and be taught by the one. Learn from me. It's a relationship. He is the teacher. We are His disciples. It's a relationship with Him. Reading from His Word, by the power of His Holy Spirit, understanding by His Holy Spirit, being ministered to by His body. All of it, the provision of Jesus Christ. 
And then his incredible promises here at the end. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Soul rest. Eternal rest that begins now. People wonder how can believers suffer so greatly in persecuted areas of the world, even here in this part of the world, and yet there's joy on their face. They're not undone. They still have hope. It's because they have soul rest in Christ. You can't take it from them. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Every commandment of Jesus Christ as He is teaching you, as He is guiding you through His Word, through His body, every bit of it leads to life. Every bit of it leads to peace. Every bit of it leads to, to contentment. We can be thankful for all things because of His perfect will. His yoke is not burdensome. It's easy. The burden that we bear in Jesus Christ is not heavy, but light. Lord Jesus, some of these things are difficult or even impossible to get our heads around. But through all of it is the glory of your grace and your provision for us then when we would turn our heart to you, Lord Jesus, we will find eternal life. God, there may be some here who have not repented, have not turned and realized the way that they are following leads to death, eternal death, eternal suffering. That's not where you would have us go. Your invitation, Lord Jesus, is incredible to all. All who are weary and heavy laden. To turn to you, to go to you, to look to you, God, and to believe what you have said, that in you is life, life abundant. And to lay down everything. God, that, that's what all of us have done. And if there's someone here, this is, this is what... Every believer around you has done. They have come to Jesus Christ and they said, I am a sinner. I recognize I have sinned against you, God, against you, Jesus. And I understand that course, apart from you, God, only leads to hell, to eternal suffering. That's what it deserves. Just as those cities that rejected Christ face judgment. But in you, Lord Jesus, that's what, that's what we did. And if you're in that place, it's simple. Here's what you do. You turn to Christ. You believe in Him. You put your faith in Him. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe. I want to follow you. I want to learn from you. And then go tell somebody. Lord Jesus, if someone's realizing they've never turned to you, God, I just pray that your gentleness, your comfort, your meekness, the Almighty God who entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey to go to the cross for us, to bear our sin upon Himself. God, your Son that you sent 
how you loved us in that, Lord Jesus, that you went all the way to the cross and every sin that I have done, that everyone God has done, you took upon yourself so that we could have life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. God, show us if there's something in our lives right now that we need to repent from. We need to confess to you and get right with you. We want to walk holy, set apart to you. Put within us, Lord, that same praise and thankfulness, Jesus, that you had for the Father. The ability to look at everything, even the broken things, even the things that are not right. And just turn to the Father and say, Thank you, Father, for such is your gracious will. Put within us a heart of thankfulness, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This next song we're going to sing. It's one of my favorites. My mom's online. I think she is. It's one of her favorites. <laughs> All my life you have been faithful. Isn't that a statement, a perspective to say, God, thank you. Thank you for all things according to your gracious will. Let's stand and sing together. I love you, Lord. For your mercy never fails me And all my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Till I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice you have led me through the fire in darkness night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. Every breath that I am able, I will see the It's running out.
Jesus, I pray that we do sing of your goodness with every breath that we are able. As we talk to people this coming week, God, don't let it just be in bitterness about what's around us, but God, let it be in praise for the goodness of the God that we serve. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you, church. Go in the Lord.